0: My name is Jason Alexander, the star of Bedtime Stories of the Ingleside Inn, a brand new scripted comedy
1: podcast in which I play Palm Springs hotelier Mel Haber, who in the 1970s turned the rundown Ingleside Inn into the best-kept secret getaway for Hollywood's elite thieves and mobsters. The series also stars Brian Jordan Alvarez, Michael McKean, Richard Kind, Lance Bass, and more. You can find Bedtime Stories of the Ingleside Inn on SiriusXM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.
0: is Michael Cohen and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. If you had any doubts that the GOP was nothing more than a corrupt kleptocracy that exists for the personal enrichment and gratification of those whose hands grip the levers of power, well, let's just take a look at the latest allegations to befall Rudy Colludi drunken Giuliani. On the heels of the E. Jean Carroll case, in which former President Trump was graphically accused of rape and held liable by a jury for sexual abuse, comes a set of detailed allegations about Trump's one-time personal lawyer, a man who took over my spot, the man who was once known and admired as America's mayor, Rudy a woman who said she worked for Rudy during the last two years of the Trump administration, alleged in a wide-ranging lawsuit that he discussed selling presidential pardons and detailed plans to overturn the 2020 election results. In a 70-page complaint filed in state court in New York on Monday, Noelle Dunphy said that after Giuliani hired her in January of 2019, He sexually assaulted and harassed her, refused to pay her wages, and often made sexist, racist, and anti-Semitic remarks, adding that she had recordings of numerous interactions with him. If those tapes should prove to be true, and there's no reason why they shouldn't, Rudy will have finally been shown to be an absolute fucking monster. Exactly what I've been saying that he is. Dunphy's allegations are, if possible, even more creepy and unsavory than the ones Trump just faced. We're not talking funny stuff about how Giuliani's hair dye ran down the side of his fucking face or how he once accidentally scheduled a press conference at a landscaping business next to a sex shop. He's no longer just a pathetic aging schlepper in a Borat movie. He's just a fucking creeper. But that's not all. It gets worse, folks. Much, much fucking worse. She claims that what seemed like a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity role as Giuliani's director of business development at $1 million per year quickly took a sordid turn. The bombshell suit claims that on February 25th of 2019... Giuliani forced Dunphy to have sexual intercourse against her will for the first time after telling her that he would not wait any longer. The details in this suit are truly frightening, illustrative of a serial sexual predator who uses his power to demand sexual gratification. Now I should warn all of you that what I'm about to read is fucking disturbing. The Monday filing, packed with graphic detail, alleges that Giuliani engaged in repeated lewd behavior, including forced oral sex and intercourse. The filing, which states that Dunphy is seeking 10 million in damages, also says that she recorded several of her interactions with Giuliani. The complaint accuses Giuliani of first-degree rape, third-degree rape, first-degree sexual abuse, third-degree sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, and forcible touching. Miss Dunphy objected and told Giuliani repeatedly that she did not want to have sex. But Giuliani would not take no for an answer, the complaint alleges, adding that Giuliani eventually forced her into having sexual intercourse with him. She never consented to intercourse, the suit states, but she eventually stopped resisting because it was clear that he would not stop pressuring her. The complaint argues that Dunphy lived under the virtually constant threat that Giuliani might initiate sexual contact at any moment. I mean, this is fucking insane. A quick search reveals that the lawsuit uses the word recorded a stunning 24 times. I'm tempted to post all of them, but that could be too overwhelming, even for my audience. If all that is recorded is in fact recorded, Rudy is fucking screwed, and not in a good way either, Rudy. The themes include BDSM, underage girls, and other matters that require a trigger alert. I mean, here's a sampling from America's mayor. Dunphy claims that she is a recording of Giuliani promising to give her, get a load of this, $300,000 if she would forgo her legal rights in connection with her pending case and fuck me like crazy. In another recorded chat from February 23rd of 2019, Giuliani, or we should probably start calling him Gulliani, allegedly told Dunphy that he could, and I quote, get in trouble with underage girls if they were 16 but looked 20, according to the complaint. Giuliani also reportedly pressed Dunphy to work from his apartment, often demanding that she work naked, in a bikini, or in short shorts with an American flag on them that he bought for her. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Giuliani allegedly would tell Dunphy to undress during their video calls. Giuliani reportedly also shared BDSM sexual fantasies with Dunphy and pushed her to watch BDSM scenes, eventually using abusive and degrading language towards her. Dunphy also claims in the suit that Giuliani took Viagra constantly, I mean no shit on that one, during her employment and would occasionally point to his semi-erect penis and tell Dunphy that he could not do any work until you take care of this. The suit also states that Giuliani was often intoxicated and that he would make Dunphy, and I quote, fetch his alcohol and make sure he was functioning alcoholic. The complaint includes a number of screenshots of text messages between Dunphy and Giuliani, including requests for Dunphy to join him in a shower and telling her, you're mine. The complaint says that Giuliani believed himself to be above the law because he had, and I quote, immunity, claiming that he was selling pardons for $2 million. He told Miss Dunfee that she could refer individuals seeking pardons to him so long as they did not go through the normal channels of the office of the pardon attorney because correspondence going to that office would be subject to disclosure under the Freedom Information Act, Dunfee alleges. The suit also alleges that Giuliani would sometimes use hateful and racist language when speaking to Dunphy, arguing that it's time for Jews to get over the Passover because it was like 3,000 years ago, and asserting that Jewish men have small genitalia. Giuliani also reportedly said Black and Hispanic men physically hurt women because it's in their culture. A spokesperson for Giuliani said on Monday that he vehemently and completely denies the allegations in the complaint and plans to thoroughly defend against these allegations. This is pure harassment and an attempt at extortion. But former prosecutor maya culpa guest Renato Mariotti begs to differ tweeting, and I quote, Noel Dunphy has presented more serious evidence of criminal activity in a civil complaint than John Durham uncovered after nearly four-year investigation. So watch this case, folks. Watch this case. It's another fucking stunning reminder of the depths to which Rudy has sunk. If proved to be true, it rips the loincloth off and shows that the emperor not only has no clothes, but is a frightening and fucking disgusting monster who belongs in a jail cell. And we'll find that out soon enough. Now, speaking of Durham, his investigation turned up fucking bupkis. For four years, Special Counsel John Durham examined the origins of the FBI investigations of links between Russian officials and Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. His final report was released on Monday. And over the course of more than 300 pages, the Durham report doesn't just fail to live up to Trump supporters' expectation of a spectacular vindication, it actually manages to fail on every other level as well. Durham fails to rebut the previous findings from Special Counsel Robert Mueller or the Department of Justice's Inspector General. He fails to provide suggested changes that the FBI could make moving forward. He also fails to acknowledge how much of the winking innuendo of report includes was improved in court. And ironically, he fails to realize that his central argument includes a standard for politically charged investigations that Trump would absolutely hate to see put into practice. Now, not to be outdone by Rudy's salacious lawsuit, or, of course, the fact that the Durham report was nothing but a wet fart, Angry Trump started his day Wednesday morning with an all-caps tirade against law enforcement officials who are investigating him for a wide range of potential criminal offenses. And, of course, Trump writing on his Truth Social, The former asshole lashed out at the myriad of probes that he's facing, and he suggested that all of them are politically motivated. I mean, what else is he gonna say? And here, I quote for you, and remember, it's in all caps. I was being framed by the FBI and the DOJ, Trump falsely claimed. Now, it continues with the Boxers hoax, the perfect phone call in Atlanta, the Manhattan DA, and the New York State Attorney General scam. What a group, but all report to the DOJ in Washington. It's James Comey and the sleazebags all over again. They are playing election interference in 2024 through illegal law enforcement against Republicans, in particular, your favorite president, me. These are cheating lowlifes, but we will win. Our country is going to hell. Trump's rant came just minutes after CNN reported that attorney Tim Parlatore would be leaving his defense team. Hmm, I mean, the lady doth protest too much, I think. The resignation likely has to do with the fact that Trump admitted to numerous fucking felonies during his CNN town hall, and Parlatore in ex- exasperation, just as I am right now, just picked his ass up and quit. I mean, Trump is a known defense attorney's worst nightmare in his ability to keep his fucking mouth shut. And so when asked why he took government documents from the White House, Trump answered, I was there and I took what I took. I had every right to do it. I didn't make a secret of it, you know? The boxes were stationed outside of the White House. With those fateful words, Trump admitted that he was involved in willfully removing the documents from the White House. Now, Donald, it's a federal crime to willfully and unlawfully remove any document in any public office of the United States. Indeed, the Justice Department has identified improper removal or unlawful removal as a key concern in court filings. And in Georgia, Fulton County D.A. continues to sharpen her sword. In a legal filing Monday, Willis didn't mince words in responding to motions from Trump and one of the Georgia fake electors, Kathy Latham, who joined in a long shot legal effort to have Willis removed from the case to prosecute the former president. They tried to throw a kitchen sink of bullshit, legal arguments at the probe. That the judge should be kicked off the case. That Fannie Willis should be kicked off the case. That the special grand jury was tainted and its report should be quashed and expunged from the record. And that any use of evidence presented to the special grand jury should be prohibited. (laughs) nice fucking try, idiot. I mean, Willis threw it all right back at them, telling the judge that Trump and Latham raised arguments for which they had no standing or which have no basis in law at all. The prosecutor basically said that Trump wants to be above the law, writing that he and Latham seek to restrain a criminal investigation before any charges are filed or even sought. They ask that the judicial system place them above and apart from the common administration of the criminal law. Trump is still a dead man walking and the sad and bad part for him is that he knows it. And these little outbursts are like a window into a very dangerous psyche. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show, intrepid newsman Ali Velshi. Host of Velshi and seemingly the favorite fill-in host of every single other MSNBC primetime news show, Velshi also reported live from the front lines of the George Floyd protest. He was drenched during Hurricane Ian and dodged incoming fire from Russian artillery when he fearlessly reported live from the front lines in Ukraine. A concerned citizen of the world, Velshi seems to be everywhere that there is injustice. I mean, in fact, he's even doing a special one-hour special on me. He has been a contributor at CNN, Al Jazeera America, and NBC, to name just a few. Velshi is also a prolific writer, and has written books, articles, and columns for newspapers and monthly publications throughout the Northern Hemisphere. So let's go now to that conversation. So, Ali, great to see you. I want to just jump straight into it. It appears yet again in the Trump orbit that another person is being sued, not just for sexual assault, but also for issues dealing with the selling of pardons and splitting money with the former president. And I'm referring to a lawsuit that alleges that Rudy Colluti, drunken Giuliani offered to sell pardons and split money with Trump. Tell me what you know about this and what are
1: you hearing? Uh, I, I mean, I was a little taken aback, and, and that's, that's saying something, uh, given the stuff that, that uh, Rudy Giuliani finds himself in the center of uh, with, with some of these allegations. Uh, he's, of course, through a spokesperson come out and uh, said that they're nonsense, but um, the specificity of the allegations is definitely jaw-dropping, particularly the parts about, uh, I mean, there's a whole sordid part of it, which is its own business, but this business about uh, selling pardons for, they even had a price. Uh, According to the allegations, two million bucks for a pardon. I I have heard of and understood the idea of the fact that someone has pardon power and there may be a price associated with it. I haven't um, ever encountered the idea of pardons in America (laughs) being uh, sold as if it's a used car. Uh, right here's the here's the price. Right. Would anybody like would anybody like a pardon? Uh, they're being made available. So again, uh, as we know, these are allegations. They haven't been proved, but they are definitely uh, detailed and and shocking. And uh, you know, I I guess one day. I just, it would be interesting to see Rudy Giuliani in the midst of something that doesn't feel like this. There's a certain feel to everything he's involved in. Um, and this is a guy who, again, you, you maybe don't struggle so much with this, but, but I, I really do struggle with the fact that I came of age as, as a reporter um, you know, around 9-11, when, when Rudy Giuliani was possibly one of the most revered figures on earth. In the world, there wasn't anybody who didn't know his name. And if you studied him then, you'd also have known that he did things in New York City that some people thought might have been civil rights violations. And you know, he's famed for cleaning things up around here. But there are people who followed him then who said, eh, there may maybe more to this than you think." But he walked away from that as America's mayor, and and it's sort of gone downhill from there uh, for him. So, to the extent that he associates something with himself with things that are shocking, this fits the bill. Yeah, I mean, this is really, it goes, it goes way beyond shocking.
0: It, it almost, to me, I started laughing because this is not the first time that I've heard about it. But this young lady, Noelle Dunphy, who was his um, then assistant, there's no doubt in my mind that she may actually have names and places and dates and amounts and all of that stuff. It almost felt to me like they were out there trying to sell pardons, the way that when you're at a ball game, the guy's yelling out, you know, for peanuts, right? Right. Peanuts. Right. get I'm your saying. Peanuts here. Peanuts. It's right. like instead somebody it's approaches like, you and said, "Get your pardon." I'm looking here. for a
1: pardon. I, you know, I'm looking for a pardon. Uh, how might I get one? And someone parlays that into a bribe. This is definitely the way she's characterizing. It does sound like it's somebody selling peanuts <laughs> right. at the ballpark. So um, I, that is interesting. And and to the extent that she has brought a, uh, a, a, a an a- allegation forward that has a lot of detail, it reminds me. I hear this from people who drive cars or drive people around in cars in New York. But, you know, people sit in the back of the car and they talk. As if no one's listening, as if there isn't another human there, because they're so used to this person being their service provider that they say things. And now you know, in the car, everybody's recording everything, so you have to, you know, be cautious about what you say if you don't want it out there. Uh, this, this, uh, th- this has uh, a sense of. She heard a lot of stuff because Rudy Giuliani just said a lot of stuff while she was around because she was like a fixture in his uh, work life. So again, if she's got the goods, she can she can bring them forward. but it, it it certainly seemed very detailed. the allegations that she made, you know, some of them including the fact that they were in uh, uh, unusual places and positions when she kept hearing these conversations. So uh, according to her allegation, Rudy Giuliani uh, ha- has a uh, an issue with separating uh, business from non-business things.
0: Ali, I got to be honest with you, it goes more than just overhearing the conversation. In fact, in paragraph 132 of the 70 page or nearly 70 page complaint, and I'm going to quote this, Giuliani also asked Ms. Dunphy if she knew anyone in need of a pardon, right. telling her that he was selling pardons for 2 million, which he and President Trump would split. He told Miss you can't make this shit up. He told Miss Dunphy that she could refer individuals seeking pardons to him so long as they did not go through the normal channels of the Office of the Pardon Attorney because correspondence going to that office would be subject to disclosure under the Freedom of Information Act. <laughs> That's pretty fucking damning to me. You know, it's um, wild stuff. I mean I mean, this is really damning to me. If, in fact, that that allegation is true, you're talking about conspiracy, not just between, you know, Rudy and, I would say, Jared Kushner, who decided to take over the pardon office, but also between Kaludi and Trump in that specific case. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Rudy's not telling her if this, To be true, I'm splitting this with Trump. That either came directly from Jared or it came from Trump himself. And Rudy's going to find himself now having to testify to save his own ass, which, by the way, could easily be the insurance card that he kept talking about a long time ago when confronted with, well, what if Trump turns on you
1: as well? This could be it. I I mean, it it does, to to a matter that you and I have been speaking about for some time, it does speak to the kind of thing that uh, feels beyond the scope of what we even experience in American politics. And we're all jaded by a lot of things. This definitely feels like things that happen in other places. The idea that you'd be asking a third person, a third party, uh, whether they know people who are seeking pardons i mean that's a it's a fairly niche group of people in america who are seeking pardons and who can pay 2 million dollars for them um which means it's not your average uh, person who's behind bars for some uh small felony this is a these are big deal uh probably white collar people uh either people involved in whatever uh rudy was accused of being involved in or other stuff the idea that you're asking a third party i mean the whole thing sounds so crazy uh if it turns out to be true, uh, you know it's not just Rudy's liability at this point. It becomes a was there really a an arrangement between the president of the United the outgoing president of the United States and and someone else to sell pardons and split the proceeds? Uh, I, this is definitely this is this one definitely caught my attention.
0: I mean, let's not forget too. In twenty twenty one, as reported by MSNBC, the New York Times reported that a former CIA officer convicted of illegally disclosing classified information who sought a pardon, and I don't know how to pronounce it, it's John um, Kirikau, um, was told that Giuliani, and here's the quote, could help him secure a pardon for $2 million. And then the Times further reported that uh, Kirikau rejected the offer, But an associate, fearing that Giuliani was illegally selling pardons, (laughs) alerted the FBI. Now, if in fact that's true, that's almost two years ago. So my question is... What the fuck are they doing? What are they sitting on? Why is this not something out there? Very much like an, I, I yell, I scream all the time from the rooftops about an unconstitutional remand against a United States citizen because that person wouldn't waive their First Amendment constitutional right. right and was thrown back into prison. And again, I'm referring, of course, to myself. Why are these investigations not moving forward? Why is it that the Democrats are doing shit Clearly, you understand why the Republicans won't do anything. But why are the Democrats? Why is Merrick fucking Garland not all over this thing? We're talking about selling pardons. This is insane. You know, Ali, if I could say one more thing. I was contacted right um, almost after that news broke yesterday by a handful of reporters who called to ask me because there are several cases that are known by people uh, so they started asking me questions, and, you know, Mike, I, look, I don't have that specific knowledge um, right. enough that I want to even comment on any of this, but there have been a multitude of individuals who have received pardons that had very serious time left, you know, uh, on their sentence that. There are allegations, and I think some of those allegations are more than just hearsay allegations. Um, There's text messages, documents, and so on that acknowledge that they were asking for millions. Yeah. Some, maybe two. In one respect, it's even more than $2 million.
1: Yeah, and it would strike me, given those allegations that you're talking about, the reporting from the New York Times, and this uh, new set of information that, that, the FBI has something to follow on, a Department of Justice does. You know, the Durham report that came out does sort of give you some insight into why um, the FBI may not have moved on, or the Department of Justice is squeamish about these things because there are these allegations of bias that Donald Trump lives for, right? The idea that the FBI is politicized and pursued him in a way that that they didn't pursue Hillary Clinton. A lot of this is nonsense, but I— I guess that it causes the FBI to be gun shy. I will say, we have a sense now, particularly with the testimony of Mike Pence about January 6th, which Donald Trump tried to stop, and that didn't. You know, I think it was a a, a Wednesday night or a Thursday night when when he failed in that effort, and the next morning, uh, Mike Pence was in testifying before Jack Smith's uh, grand jury. So I get the sense that there is movement in terms of the federal government and the Department of Justice as it relates to Donald Trump generally with the things that are within Jack Smith's remit. I just don't know whether this is part of it. But yeah, you would think that the minute the FBI got a call about the fact that there might be pardons being sold by either the president of the United States or one of his close cohorts- who Or has his the, lawyer, um, his, his, his personal him, attorney. Or lawyer, uh, that, that one would act on that very quickly. And I, I I would say maybe they waited to see whether he actually did sell any pardons, but it almost, I mean, that, that ship has sailed now, right? Whether he did or didn't, um, if this these allegations are true that he was shopping them, uh, these 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 really do challenge the imagination. I will say, Michael, it doesn't challenge the imagination from a from a novel or what a leader of some other uh, non-democratic country might be doing. But the idea that these things might have happened in America should be alarming to everybody in a way that you continue to underscore, right? Because you've often said, "Don't worry if they're not; they haven't gone after you. This isn't just high-profile people, for instance, like you. Once these guys get back in." they may have refined their dirty tricks for the next time around.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's scary, What once they found out, and this is from Jared Kushner's own mouth, that he was not present during the January 6th insurrection because he was busy taking care of pardon business. Listen, with all due respect to my followers and everybody that's listening to this, what the fuck does Jared have the right to be sitting there now, on top of everything, running the pardon office. There are people that work at that pardon office. There are people that put in applications. Here, it makes perfect sense why Colludi is telling them that if they put in pardon requests that they cannot be a part of this because there would already be a paper trail that would be FOIA accessible. Now, let me just touch on FOIA for a quick second, because as of the 23rd of of April, I sure do, as of the 23rd of April, the FBI once again has failed to turn over a single document despite 10 months that they are required to process at minimum 500 documents for me a month. That's processed. They claim in the letters, yeah, we processed 509 documents. So technically, I should have received close to 5,100 pages so far. I have received zero. And they state that they are releasing zero. All right. Why? This is regarding why? That's a question that has now been raised by Congressman Ted Lieu, Hakeem Jeffries, former Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, Congressman Steve Cohen, Senator Dick Durbin, all regarding various different aspects, and they just refuse to turn over any documents. I mean, maybe this will help to bust open the bullshit that goes on, this frustrating nonsense that goes on. Either government is working for you, or they're working against you. And as I see it right now, DOJ, FBI, Merrick Garland... I don't see them working on our behalf in order to create transparency, and that's something that we desperately need. But I also want to jump into something as I watch your show all the time. Um, You always have this one segment about the uh, Velshi Band Book Club, and I find it very interesting because I'm a voracious reader myself. In fact, during my time in solitary and while I was at uh, Otisville, I read 97 books, wow. you know, in the period of 13 months. It's, I, I love to read. I just never really have a chance, you know, to do so here. Of course, I had plenty of time <laughs> to do it, and I had plenty of really good people that had sent me books to keep me company. So I thank them for that. Tell me if you would, Ali. What's happening in this country as these? As the culture wars are heating up in the face of the 2024 election, because you wrote yesterday and I'm going to quote this. It would shock some readers to learn that even Judy Bloom novels face bans and she's one of the most suggested authors for the Velshi band book club. So yep. first off, if you would. Discuss with me and my listeners what you believe the political goal is around these book bans and who from the GOP is leading the charge and why. Yeah. And also, finally, discuss, if you would, you know, the other authors who have been requested, you know, for the Velshi Band book club.
1: Yeah. So the... The goal here is twofold. Uh, The age old goal of banning books is to keep people ignorant of circumstances that you didn't teach them or you don't want them to believe. So whether it's uh, banning books about uh, like the 1619 Project in the U.S., which tells you a sort of an alternate view of American history uh, through the lens of of, uh, Africans who had come here as enslaved people and and then who became Americans, or it's uh, where my parents grew up in South Africa, where... Uh, The the dictionary that black students were given was a substandard dictionary because the goal was they didn't want to make them uh, more educated than they would need to be to be servants and gardeners and drivers and things like that. So you you deliberately limited the the, the knowledge people could get. In fact, my father, when he looks at the banned book club, told me that when he left South Africa at the age of 25 years old, uh, having never been able to vote, obviously, because of the color of his skin, never been to a public library. There were just no public libraries accessible to non-white people. So, so one is the the broader goal: keep people ignorant, uh, and and then they can't they can't outsmart you, they can't learn, they can't uh, they can't rise above their station in life. The second one is to um, create a fear of some other. Right or maintain the fear of another. So we, we talk about trans kids now, but it used to be LGBTQ people. It used to be, you know, uh, gay people. Gay marriage was was this big boogeyman that was going to wreck marriage for everybody in America. And before that, it was abortion. Now, when you think back in history, animus toward people uh, who do not share your your life experience is not a naturally occurring thing. People don't generally hate people from the start. They have to be made to fear and hate them. So in the nineteen seventies. Churches and people and even conservative groups weren't really against abortion, wasn't an issue. And there were people in the Republican Party who said, ah, it, we can gin people up about this. So it started this anti-abortion movement of baby killers and all, all this kind of stuff. That sort of fizzled over time because we had Roe v. Wade and it became an anti-gay marriage crusade. Where, like, I, I would wonder, I just come from Canada thinking, why are you all getting worked up about whether someone else is marrying something? Gay marriage doesn't mean you have to marry someone of the same sex it just means they can um and and that has now passed and they that that battle has moved on and now it's about trans people and trans kids now you take that timeline and then you realize that increasingly people are writing about these experiences so book banned books tend to fall into a few categories right They're Queer people of color, or sexual assault, or uh, women who are asserting their rights in society, or uh, black people who are giving you a history that you didn't learn in high school. So it's it's all of those sorts of categories. But all of those things in those books are threatening to the dominant culture, and 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 so there are forces within that culture who have come together to say, uh, "Let's fight this." And by the way, these are not uh, generic, organic. Uh, movements that start because some parent didn't like The Bluest Eye or uh, Handmaid's Tale or whatever. These are all form letters that are written by uh, far-right organizations that are provided to these parents. People who want to ban books typically don't read those books. It's it's a very, very, very supremely dangerous thing to be going on in this country, not the least of which is because if you let people get away with this— do mm-hmm. you, you don't want to read this particular book. or You don't want your kids to read it. Do you really want a society in which the school board or the public library or your state government or your city council determines what you and your family read? Why isn't this a, a job for, for parents? I'm fully with all of these conservatives who say parents should be involved in this. i 100% supportive yeah. of that idea. But you be the one who controls what your child reads, not the state, not the public library. Librarians say this all the time. You really want me in charge of what your kid Uh, reads, my job is to provide the books for you so that you and your children and your family can make the choices you need, not to take the choice away from you. So it's very strange that the uh, libertarian, uh, small government uh, Republicans have such a big role in this, but it's sort of like having a role in abortion, right? The states, states shouldn't be involved in your life unless there's something around which the state should be involved in your life. That's basically the way Republicans are seeing you know things these days, and when you, when you see how it all fits together, there's no difference between controlling what you read and controlling your right to get an abortion. I totally agree with you. The, Ali has either of
0: my two books, Disloyal or Revenge, been put on the banned book club yet? I
1: worry uh, <laughs> that Revenge certainly kind of book that would. And I'll tell you something. Yeah, I, I'm actually I might be interviewing him this weekend. I'm still trying to get hold of him. But there's a man who wrote a fairly definitive history about the Taliban, the rise of the Taliban. And frankly, if I were the Taliban, I'd say, "Good book!" Like it really shows how we came to power and took over. They've not just banned the book; they've put a fatwa out on him, like oh, like Salah. Right. Yeah. And and they've told people, by the way, it's, this is the, the Taliban have done this. They don't have to kill him. Anybody who sees this guy should kill him, right? His book is. It's not even controversial. It's actually I mean, the fact is the Taliban were defeated and then they had this war for twenty years and now they're the government of, of Afghanistan. This is just fact. I assume the Taliban has the same fact we have on this, and they're gonna they're looking to kill this guy now. So people who speak up about the government, a government, get themselves on lists. I mean, this is That's not even banning. This is actually he's on a he's on a kill list. So right, I I, because one, I don't have enough headaches going on in my life right, right. now. So I, I look, th- that doesn't mean nobody should put pen to paper. But those risks shouldn't come with writing a book. But you have written a book that talks about a thing that we might face uh, if if, uh, if Donald Trump gets back into office. And I'm not even sure it may go well beyond Donald Trump. This idea that you should use the power mm-hmm. of government uh, for revenge. Uh, it's I think it's a it's a it's an important fact, but i can i imagine there are a lot of people who definitely don't want your book to be read or circulated or those ideas to be debated. yeah, that's for sure so i i wanted just, to, just, to I just want to underscore the point. One could see what you have written if you don't live in a democratic society as subversion, right? You you have been subversive, Uh, just like this guy who wrote this book has been subversive. And frankly, everybody who writes a piece of history that the prevailing culture doesn't want can be seen as subversive. In South Africa, uh, because they didn't have – you just can't keep up with laws like this. They had something called the Suppression of Communism Act. So all they had to do is say, so-and-so is doing something that sounds like they're promoting communism, and then they could lock you up uh, without even a trial. So people just start this stuff, right, where they start to label—it's McCarthyism, right? They label somebody who's doing something as yep. dangerous to society, and at that point, sometimes they even forget about trials. Yes, yeah, Stalinism. So, Ali, I want to discuss something
0: that you recently wrote about the strategic route of the attack on trans rights— so anti-trans rhetoric and subsequently anti-trans legislation have become central to right-wing messaging among those passing laws at the state level. I mean, this is really dangerous shit here. Advocates for trans rights have been saying, and saying it for a long time, that anti-LGBTQ policy, and specifically this, focused accelerating attacks on trans people and that it's all part of a political strategy. Now, what started as scattered bills restricting, say, trans girls' access to sports and bathrooms have now exploded into one of the central talking points of the right. Using language about children's safety and harnessing this right-wing anxiety about evolving gender norms, this political strategy, all right, Puts the rights as well as the lives of trans Americans on the line. Many of them happen to be children. Mm -hmm. So if you would, discuss with me who is leading this charge at the national
1: level and how dangerous you think it is as rhetoric. I I think it's terribly dangerous. In fact, the other day I spoke to two parents of trans kids. One of the parents was a rabbi, and he was saying— Uh, You know, it's like uh, Pastor Niemöller said uh, about about the Holocaust. You know, first they came for this group, and I wasn't part of that group, so I didn't pay attention. Then they came for this group, you know, came for the gays. I wasn't gay, so it wasn't my problem. Then they came—you know, they'll come for everybody. The idea is that trans people in America are the bottom of the rung, right? There's no cost to being Um, anti-trans. They are mocked. Uh, we know that bullying among kids is a terrible thing and leads to suicide. Can you imagine for gay kids how complicated that is? Can you imagine for trans kids how complicated that is? But I can't imagine it because I, I, I'm not trans and I don't have a trans kid. So I have to try and learn and understand who, who what, what goes on, what goes through their mind, what do they need? what, And these kids sometimes go, they're very brave because they've been through a lot. So they go and testify before these, you know, uh, state legislatures and they ask these kids about their genitals and stuff like that. They, they ask them quite like it's 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 like they're trying to make a freak show out of trans kids. Now, think about this, Michael, as a father. Kids have all sorts of issues that they have to come by. If your life is normal and you're privileged, your kids have anxieties and issues in school and whether they're in the in crowd or not. Can you imagine if your child were unclear or unsure about whether the body that they were born in is the is, is how they identify whether you agree with that stuff or not is not my point just think about it as a father because every one of these kids is somebody's child well how about if you think we, about it
0: as a human being as think, somebody with some what, empathy I, if you can get you person
1: can per- i'd even i would appreciate that right if you would think about it as a human being but these are some these are people's kids trans people get murdered and killed at a rate higher than almost any other identifiable group in America. It is not easy at all. And what we need to do is while we learn and while we empathize, we actually just need to be supportive of people around us to say, I don't, I don't need to understand your life. I don't need to understand why one wants an abortion. I don't need to understand why you wrote this book. I just need to understand that we all share the space and we're all humans. We There are a couple of groups, not a couple, there are more than a couple. There are a number of very right-wing groups in America who are circulating this stuff. And it's one thing, not one thing that I like, but it's one thing to argue about What does Ron DeSantis carry on about wokeism and Disney and TV and all these things and what messaging you'd like for kids? But we've gone farther than that. We've prevented medical care for children. These parents of trans children tell me, we're not doctors. We're very confused by this whole thing. We seek medical help and this is what the doctor says we're supposed to do and we support that for our child. But the state is actually preventing our child from getting gender affirming care. Do you think that a, a, a young boy decides they want to be in a girl's body so that they can win a trophy in a sports no 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 match? they
0: want to be they want to be in a girl's body so that they can go to the girls' bathroom right. to watch the woman or the watch the female taking a dump, right? Because every guy only because every guy in the planet we fantasize about watching women in the bathroom. I mean it's, the notion it's so that beyond ridiculous. These, that it is the 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 right on this If you break it down to what they're saying, it is so fucking ignorant on so many levels. You're right. This guy wants to go for, or this young lady, right, wants to go for hormone injections and, you know, go through this mental exercise. It's not like you could one day, tomorrow, Ali, you can say, could you imagine tomorrow you can say, you know, that I'm going to put on a blonde wig and I identify as a female therefore I can go into the women's bathroom and so on because at the let's say at Yankee Stadium because it's cleaner than the men's bathroom that's bullshit that's not what it's about now and it's you know right it's it's, it's just it is cruel. cruel it is cruel and then there is the issue about you know transgenders in sports uh you know it there is certainly an advantage and there could be rules that are established I don't know enough about the topic and, and then that's the what issue we should do, right? In order somebody should. Should needs to, yes, somebody needs to learn it and come yeah. up with a decision. And sure. the decision does not stop at the borders of America. It stops yeah. at the borders of the world because yeah. transgenders are everywhere throughout the world. Right. And so there should be some sort of a universal rule that doesn't I make understand. them yeah. have to identify as anything other than them what they're not. And so everybody a has to learn to mind being, their
1: own freaking business. This is a matter of, but you see, the danger is it starts with people who get wound up over pronouns. Right. I, I, I don't know from this world. Right. I didn't grow up in a world in which there were uh, the pronouns were, you know, he, her, she, him. I, I didn't know any other way. And now I've learned about it. I've I've started to learn about it from people, and and my general view, in the same way when I met uh, Nicole Hannah Jones and she talked to me about um, the 1619 project, I didn't know about the year 1619. And my takeaway was, wow, you just gave me another piece of information, to 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 another data point. How thank you for doing that because I never would have known that date. Same thing when I I talk with transgender people who explain things to me in great detail about their life experience and the history of these things. My view is that's another data point, right? Why can't we just treat life like this? We are curious. We're supposed to be sentient, curious beings, and we learn about new things. You don't have to like everything you learn about. No one's asking you to like abortion or gay marriage or or, uh, being transgender, but they have rights. They are people among us. So do people who don't share my political opinion. They have rights, including the First Amendment, right? We have just got to become a more civil society. What we are doing to trans kids is actually endangering their lives. And the parents who say this don't say that it's because of the uh, withholding of medical care, which a lot of these states are doing. It's the idea that you are othering a group of people who Mm -hmm. are already othered. Yeah, and in this country, cruel. and in this, we have a horrible history of this. I talked to George Takei last week about being growing up in a Japanese American internment camp when he was five years old. Yep. Uh, nobody has to look too far to talk to Jewish people in this country about what being other other does, because it still manifests, like the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Why don't we stop doing this? We've learned we've learned through history why this is the wrong thing.
0: You know, Ali, I'll tell you, I saw a meme and I thought it was very interesting the other day, uh, which is you have a nun who's wearing uh the whatchamacallit, the uh the garb. And yeah. then there was a Muslim woman who was wearing her religious garb. And on the left side with the nun, it says, if you if you see a problem with what she's wearing the other side, you shouldn't see a problem with what she's wearing. Why do you care what somebody else is wearing? Why should you hate someone who's Muslim simply because she's wearing a, you know, a hajib or, you know, she's wearing um, a, you know, a a full, you know, a full garment? I don't understand why people have to impose what you want. You want, as far as I'm concerned, walk down the fucking street butt ass naked. I don't give a shit. I really truly right. don't. Nothing that anybody else does right. has any effect on me. Oh my God, it's a it's a topless woman walking around. Really? All of a sudden we're making a big deal over this shit. Go to any beach when you're on vacation and there's always somebody topless bathing, if you know, especially in Europe. Who cares? We are so uptight and sensitive. Yes. And Ron, Ron DeSantis is taking advantage of this. He absolutely is. And he's One of the most vocal GOP leaders out there pushing this culture war. So my question to you on that is, do you think that it's
1: scoring him major points with the base? No, I don't. Uh and partially because he overplays his hand, right? First of all, all these people who talk about woke this, woke that, people who you uh think might be those people who are woke don't use the word woke, right? They just they're actually just talking about these issues. So he's he's addressing a base of people um who already are there, number one. So I don't think he's he's winning I don't think he's winning any converts. And if you're trying to be Trumpy, uh Donald Trump is more Trumpy than Ron DeSantis is ever going to be. So that becomes hard. I think more importantly, uh, the the, the fight with Disney sort of underscored the degree to which this is not strategic, right? Because you have to go pretty far in Florida to find somebody who doesn't like Disney, largely because most normal people just like Disney. But beyond that, it is one of the state's largest employers and the largest taxpayer in the country. And all of his nonsense about the special treatment they have – is, is is exactly that. It's nonsense. Those special zones that Disney was one of or is one of, uh, even though the board is now controlled by DeSantis people, it's the same zones that airports have, right? It's the idea that they control the development around them because there's a reason to do so. So Disney controls the area around them so that another theme park doesn't set itself up right next to Disney. Airports control it so that buildings don't come up beside them. It's a very normal uh, course of events. I think there are more than 100 examples of it in Florida alone. So Ron DeSantis has indicated that somehow Disney got some sweet deal in the 1960s uh, that was unfair. Let me tell you, you can look at the books at Florida. It's not unfair. Disney has paid for that one over and over again. Mm -hmm. So he's picking fights that don't make sense. He's also um, not Donald Trump. uh, And you know, if you want to carve out a different lane than Donald Trump in the modern Republican Party, that might be intriguing. Um, But he's not doing that. He's just basically trump light, And I think he's hoping that Trump somehow implodes. And I will say, he's not that much of a debater. He's not much of a public speaker or a debater. He's not particularly charismatic. So, you know, the Trump people have always thought if it gets to a debate, and we don't know whether Donald Trump will actually participate in a debate or whether he'll be indicted. But if it gets to a debate, uh, Ron DeSantis's performance is not going to endear him to a lot of people. So I don't – I think he's throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall. Um, he certainly is polling higher than any other uh, declared or other undeclared uh, you know, Republican candidate. But ultimately, if you're going to be a Republican and you're going to choose not to go with Donald Trump, then you need a vision that looks very different. And I'm not sure right. – Ron DeSantis is giving me that. Why would I take the light version if I could get the full-bodied version? Yeah, well,
0: one thing for certain, I think you have to acknowledge this, is if there's a debate between the two, I mean, DeSantis, who I despise as well, uh, is certainly going to do better than Trump because Trump, not only can he not debate, he's just an idiot. I mean, all you have to do is take a look to see. He's comical and he knows how to play a crowd, but when it comes down to substance... All right. But Donald just lies about
1: everything. What's that? That party's got no substance. Like they've decided that their substance is their candidate. Like I would love it. The the, the resurrection of the Republican Party. And I happen to be one of those people who thinks that there should be functioning parties in America. Right. If you're a Democrat, you might be very happy with the uh, with the end of the Republican Party or the state it's in. I don't think one should be happy about that because it's really bad to have one major party and not another one. But the resurrection of the Republican Party will come from real debate on real issues from somebody who has real policies. The stuff that we're doing right now with the Republican party is not real policies. It's just anger. And and mm-hmm. uh, othering and attacks and fear mongering, right? What about real policies? Because there are conservative policies on health care, on wages, on labor, on, on a million things that are actually important to people, and yet they're carrying on getting people worked up about trans kids in bathrooms and this and the other thing. And by the way, here's a problem everybody should get together and solve: is guns, right? How many times have you talked? You, you and I talked about this. It's out of control. Average American. Every are, day. It's are, are, are every day. Dying. We're getting numb to it. I, 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 you know, I, I hear, I, cause I get early alerts when there's gunfire anywhere in the country. And I, you know, something happens in LA. My daughter lives there. I immediately check where she is and she says, I don't hang around in places where, you know, they're going to be uh, gunfights. And I said, really? You don't shop not at a true. shopping mall. You don't, you don't go to a grocery store because it's happening everywhere. By the way, it's not happening in states that do have some restrictions on, on, on guns not happening at the same rate. But every other country in the world, when they have one of these things, because everybody does have one, they change the laws. They do things. They, 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 they figure out how, wh- how to deal with it. People are actually fearful. You know, gun deaths are the number one killer of children in this country. There's yep. no other country in the world that's not in war and in which that's the case.
0: And, and we're not embarrassed. Could you imagine? So Ali, let me just shift gears for one second, because in an interview last Monday with a public radio station in Birmingham, shithead Tommy Tuberville, right, who's a member of the Senate Armed Forces Committee, this asshole was asked whether he believed, and I quote, white nationalists should be able to serve in the military. The Biden administration has made countering extremism in the military a major domestic priority in the wake of the January 6th attack, quoting that nearly one in five rioters who have been charged are military veterans. They call them that, Tuberville replied, referring to the Biden administration's criticism of white nationalists. I call them Americans. What do you make of Tuberville's attempt to court white nationalists and how this plays into the GOP's larger strategy in courting extremists?
1: So um, our reporter, Julie Serkin on Capitol Hill, uh, talked to Tuberville after that and gave him a chance to Clarify in case he had uh, said something that he didn't want to say or didn't mean. And he said to her, Well, I think we need to explain what a white nationalist is. So Julie said, Well, someone with perhaps neo Nazi sympathies or, you know, racist uh, views, uh, but who, you know, is willing to take violent action. And he said, So you're saying these people are Nazis? I mean, Michael, it's a layup, right? Being an anti Uh, white nationalism, violent extremism is a layup. Like that's just not a hard thing to do. Uh, And and he was given several chances to do this. And if one were being charitable, you'd say maybe he just doesn't understand the distinction between these different terms. But he has taken the idea that we actually should, and every country should, take extremists, violent extremists out of the military, where they get trained and armed to kill people. They shouldn't, they have no, no space in the military. And he's confused that with Donald Trump supporters and MAGA people. Now that's just dumb. That's illogical. That's not a a logical leap. If you think that you are being accused of something, all you have to say is I don't support that. I'm not a I'm not a white nationalist. I'm not an extremist. He's he he, he seems to struggle with some very basic concepts, but this is, you know, it's not that much of a surprise given some of the stuff that Tommy Tuberville has done and said in the past.
0: Ali, he's a member of the Senate. He's an elected official and this ass clown doesn't know the difference that this is absolutely disgusting. Basically, what he is, is he's nothing more. He's a Klansman with a congressional. Is it that he doesn't
1: know the difference or does he know the difference? And he very actively, he, uh, you know, uh, is, is doing what you said. Is he courting at, people, uh, you know, who who will hear the dog whistle? That's what I worry okay. about. I can't imagine I, he's not. I'm just going to say it. he's not he is not the sharpest pencil in the Senate box. But I don't think you have to be that sharp to understand what a white nationalist is. I totally white, agree. When you're from with the you. American South, when you're from the state of Alabama, where they've struggled with this stuff uh, much later than much of the rest of America struggled with it, that you you just have to know that, and you need to decide which side of that that line you are on. Particularly if you come if you're a white person from the American South, you need to know what side of white nationalism you are on. And so, yeah. to me, to have a grown man who doesn't who claims to not know that, I find hard to believe. I think he's not ignorant. I think he's actually, me too. he thinks is going to help him win the next election.
0: I, me too. I totally agree with you. So I also now want to turn your attention to Trump's that so-called, and everybody's still talking about it, even though it was several days ago, the CNN town hall meeting. All right. right. What was supposed to have been a fair and balanced broadcast really turned into a shit show campaign rally for candidate Trump. Right. What are you hearing behind the scenes about the decision to broadcast that town hall? And why would CNN do this? Now, I've been out there and I've absolutely supported CNN's right to have the town hall with a guy who will, for the most part, unless something happens, will be the Republican nominee. And I think CNN is absolutely right to have it where they faulted. Where they fucked up is allowing Trump's people to stock the room with Trump supporters. So when he says stupid, you know, white nationalist bullshit or, you know, uh, some of these lies about January 6th rioters or any of the other stuff, he gets standing ovations for things that should make you want to throw up.
1: Which he which he feeds off of, right? So his people know that. There's reporting that one of his aides, Jason Miller, was uh showing him tweets in the in the commercial breaks to get him uh further riled up. I, I agree. I am not of the view because people tweet me all the time, even when I run a clip of Donald Trump and say why do you do that? Why do you uh, why do you why do you platform him? Well, because the guy uh, is going to be probably the Republican candidate uh, because he might be the president, and because of warnings that you have uh, given us, and that is that if he becomes a president, he's told you what he's going to do, and you should be very fearful of that. So I don't think keeping Donald Trump from the public is a is a, a viable plan, but I I think that there is a way in which the media has to hold people to account and the way cnn did that doesn't feel like that was the most robust effort to do it now sometimes it's just on the margins it's in the nuances right the nuances could be how you curate the audience um right. it said that they told the audience not to boo but to clap well that's that nah. doesn't that feels like you're um you're 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 you know you're you're putting your thumb on the scale about how this is going to go so i i i think um i think they need to learn a lesson from that but you know we didn't learn a lesson from the entire 2016 election so not 100% sure that the, the the media is going to learn the lesson this time. I, I, I think yeah. when you talk about these presidential candidates, whoever they are, by the way, including Joe Biden, you need to hold them to account. That's what we do. We exist to bear witness, meaning to tell you what's happened, and to hold power to account. You can't just abandon that because you want the guest. right? You can't just decide you're not holding them to account. I, I, I will give Caitlin Collins credit. She, she was attempting to hold him to account. He lies. Yes, with, she did. Uh, with, with, with such expertise and velocity that it's very hard to do it in real time. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a hard thing to do. I think she tried to do the right thing, but I, I think the structure of that thing was wrong.
0: So let's turn our attention for a moment about the E. Jean Carroll decision. Now, obviously, it's not a criminal case, it's a civil trial. So there's no prison time that is attached to this case, it's a money case. But how do you see this hurting Trump down the road, especially amongst female voters?
1: Well, I think there are a couple things. One is we've seen the activation of female voters and particularly uh, female independent and Republican voters around um, abortion, uh, where we've seen five different abortion measures across the country, whether they were brought by uh, uh, abortion rights, people or anti-abortion foes all go toward abortion rights. We've seen in uh, uh, in. uh, Minnesota, um, I'm sorry, in Wisconsin, we saw a statewide election uh, that was tipped toward the Democrats because abortion was an issue. We've seen in South Carolina, five women, uh, including Republicans in the state Senate, defeated a uh, an abortion ban. So number one, we're seeing Republican and independent women activated generally about men trying to control their lives, and these are women, by the way, who in many cases do not like the idea of abortion. But they realize that that's not liking abortion is entirely different than criminalizing abortion. And then you've got this E. Jean Carroll stuff, where I mean, as much as it's a it was a civil trial, there are there are things in place to protect the criticism of people who exist in the public uh, in the public realm, and E. Jean Carroll is one of them. She's a well-known person, she's a celebrity, so there's more freedom to say disparaging things about people who are public, and yet the jury still found for her. Um, so I would say that she was uh, toward the high end of credible witnesses. Uh, and and Donald Trump's, you know, he didn't testify, but he had that uh, deposition, which was just wild. I mean, it's it was it, 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 it was it was the stuff that he was saying sort of just I, I think it gives everybody pause, whether or not you like Donald Trump or not. So I, I think when you add all these things up, uh, Republicans in general, with their abortion stuff, Donald Trump in particular, and with this and the gun stuff, which you know, really bothers mothers, right? When, when when you realize that you're scared for your life, you're worried about your children, there are going to be a lot of women saying that there are things I need to cast my ballot about in 2024 that have to do with my rights, my power, my family, their safety, uh, and the evolution of the world. I think at the moment, um, Donald Trump and Republicans are doing a lot of things that are going to alienate women. And I, I know everybody always says that kind of stuff, and it never comes to pass. I, I think... If you're a woman in society in America right now and you read something like The Handmaid's Tale and you think it's fiction, you're starting to see how some of this stuff is actually coming true. That that mm-hmm. this weird Margaret Atwood, who was one of my band book club guests, wrote about in 1985 could actually happen if you don't take matters into your own hands. And matters in your own hands just means voting, voting for somebody who protect your rights from dying, from abortion uh, or from sexual assault. Yeah. And what bothers
0: me about this This whole thing is as he went out, not less than 24 hours later, he was at a rally. I'm talking about it again. There's still women there holding up Trump 2024 signs, holding up, you know, we love Trump and so on. It's not just that I expected a, a significant diminution in females that would be attending these rallies. What about the male voters? These women who are making these allegations, Egene Jean Carroll is yep. someone's daughter. Yep. it's somebody's sister, cousin, yep. friend... I mean, if they did that to you, Ali, I could not go to a rally and support somebody that said, because my friend Ali is from South Africa, therefore he should be X, Y, and Z. I would not support this individual. I don't care. It makes no sense to me to see that there are still people supporting him, not just physically being at these bullshit rallies, but also financially. I don't get it.
1: Well, it goes full circle to the question you asked me a little while ago about the banned book club, right? What If you succeed in convincing people that the other is threatening them and their lifestyle, they will deny the evidence they see in front of them. Because they still believe Donald Trump is keeping them safe. This is why people used to listen to Rush Limbaugh. He keeps me safe from all those lesbians and uh, fanatic uh, women, feminists and immigrants and black people and all that stuff. It's all nonsense because most of the people who needed protecting from these people have never met the people they supposedly need protecting from. Right. Where is this transgender scare that we're all talking about? What percentage of the people do most people know who is who is transgender? I mean, I'm in media, so I probably know more uh, than, than most people because it's a it's a it's a career that a number of transgender people choose to be in Mm -hmm. but you know like, where is this fear from but if as long as i'm convinced that these people threaten me anybody who goes after trump threatens me they are the other i think that's stronger than the evidence you know michael and and that's that's the part that worries me which is why i'm glad when court cases happen we still have judges and we still have a procedure and we still have evidence but people don't believe the evidence before their own eyes and that happens here. It happens in Russia as it relates to the Ukraine war, where they still think that every time a missile lands in Ukraine, it's the Ukrainians who fired it on themselves. Right. It's it's provable BS. And yet people believe that stuff. And that's what happens in America. Provable BS continues to survive. And Donald Trump is so masterful. I would have thought after having been found liable for this, I'd have been careful to not say the same thing at the CNN town hall. And yet he did. He yep. he disparaged Eugene Carroll Carroll the very same way that he was found liable for. It's like, How does that work? If I got found liable for anything, I'd make sure I never do that thing again.
0: And it's something that I talk about in my book, Revenge. Donald Trump figured out how to weaponize the Department of Justice. All right. Plain, simple weaponization. And most people in America right now have no confidence in our judicial system. They believe that. that. Yeah. And he has done that. Which brings me to my next question, because. Of all of the um, pending criminal investigations currently into Trump, which one do you see bearing the most fruit? So, for example, like in Georgia, there seems to be reams and reams of evidence and people already agreeing to testify. Is this the indictment that finally gets Trump behind bars or... And I hate when people do this. They say, "Oh, why the hell did Bill, uh, did uh, Alvin Bragg go ahead, and why did he file that indictment against Trump and so on?" Because now what we're doing is we're positioning which illegal act by Trump should take precedence over the other. Clearly, January 6th is more destructive to democracy than campaign finance violation. But the breaking of a law, in my opinion, is still the breaking of a law. So now we've now ranked which ones Donald should go away. I see Georgia as a bigger problem than other people, simply because they're far behind. And the longer it takes for whether it's Jack Smith or Fannie Willis to file that indictment, the longer it's going to take to put him in front of a judge. And we know that he wants to run in order to protect himself from these federal cases. So which one do you think will finally get him behind bars? Because I'm a believer that it's Alvin Bragg.
1: You know, uh, look, first of all, there's timing, right? We, As I said, we have no insight into Jack Smith, but we do know that the minute Mike Pence became available, Mike Pence is central to this thing. He acted on it within hours. Fannie Willis has already hinted about a timeline, uh, and some say that it'll even come earlier than the timeline. But she sent information to uh, law enforcement authorities to say, be prepared uh, for something to happen. I think Georgia... As a, as, a, as a business reporter who's covered a lot of trials, uh, often they're very complicated trials. I mean, go back to Enron and WorldCom and things like that. Complicated trials are hard. Simple trials are easy. And so while I think Jack Smith yep. has a lot of stuff uh, in front of him, and he's probably got a more robust case, Bonnie Willis's case is much simpler, right? I mean, if you can accept... Uh, you know, if you can get past the when Donald Trump talked about finding votes, whether that means changing them or I don't know, looking under your bed and finding them. Um, that was obvious. And that was in public. You know, that was in plain sight. And he had a, they've got a lot of testimony from a lot of people who know a lot about how that all went down. I find that as a reporter, uh, easy to understand and and it'll be easy to convey. So I think that one. Um, has got a lot of meat. I think Jack Smith's going to have a lot. But as you said, Donald Trump's going to run. Uh, the closer it gets to the election, the more he's going to claim that this is a democratic effort to undermine his candidacy. And as we know, whether he's right or wrong, and he's generally wrong, um, he's it, it does work. It does convince people. People think everything's politicized. So if if Jack Smith takes until next spring to sort this out, I think it's going to be it's, it's going to be hard because there are a lot of people who otherwise, other than listening to the evidence, are going to say this was an effort to stop Donald Trump from being reelected. So in my opinion, justice is best served by getting these things done faster. But lawyers tell me the system works as it does, and speeding it up for political purposes would be bad. So, Well, as I like to call it, and I've
0: done that on your show too, I call it the Al Capone theory, right? They couldn't get him for the murder, extortion, racketeering, bootlegging, right. and all right. the other stuff. They got him on simple tax evasion, right. all right? But it did That's go. why— That's right. That's why if, like, everybody wants to rank which one of these illegal actions by Trump and others, you know, is the most significant, I don't see it that way. I would rank it this way. Number one case that's going to bring a determination is Alvin Bragg's. I believe it's the easiest case for a jury to hear. I think number two is Jack Smith's case, the documents of Mar-a-Lago, the stolen documents. I think it's such an easy case for them to you know for them to um hold him accountable, and that is certainly a crime. He was told to return it he refused to he had lawyers lie about it in the affidavits. and he talked about returned. it again at c n n and he sure did so look the guy's an idiot. Uh, you know then you move forward I think Georgia is a tougher case as you just stated and I think the January 6th insurrection I think is the toughest because they already have a thousand witnesses they have a million documents you know how long a trial like that takes in order to put on I mean it's yeah. and there's not enough time before which you're going to be right in the smack in the dead center of the election but you know which look is a big Ali, problem. it's a very big problem so look the hour goes by quick I got a final question for you. Yep. Rick Wilson, who's a friend of this show, and I have been, I'm a big fan of, you know, Lincoln Project, recently came on your show and handed Democrats a gift that could not only allow them to hold on to the White House, but also to make inroads in conservative districts where normally they haven't been competitive. He basically is telling Democrats to highlight How radioactive the GOP has become through its abortion policies and that this six week abortion ban will ultimately become defund the police for Republicans. If you would do me the favor, discuss with me what Rick was talking about here and how
1: it will help to defeat the GOP. So it's it's the idea that um, that with abortion the dog didn't catch the car. You know, always say what happens if the dog catches the car? They'll be they'll be quite confused by it. The dog slammed into the car with the fall of Roe because there was this abstraction that if you hand this back to the states, the, the states will manage it. That's just an abstract idea to people until they realize that when you hand this back to the states, the states become absolutely draconian, and attorneys mm-hmm. general start looking for doctors and women to actually prosecute. That this is not what we thought. What a lot of people thought Roe was going to be. So I think we're, Democrats have problems with the idea that, you know what? Let's just lean into um abortion and and probably guns, the things that really worry people about about life in America that's making them feel unfree. And I've spoken to the, the governor of, of uh, Washington State, the governor of Michigan. Uh, I've heard uh, the governor of Massachusetts talking in the way that California, that, that Texas and Florida used to talk to bring people from uh, other states, liberal states. They come here, you'll pay less taxes. We're more free. Now these democratic states are telling people, come here because you're free to be who you are. You're free to not get gunned down by an AR-15. You're free if you're gay or trans mm-hmm. to live your life or a woman who needs an abortion. You're free to get that abortion. That's actually what freedom seems to look like. And the, the, the Republicans are out of sync with the public on guns and, and abortion. And these are big issues. So Rick was sort of saying, lean into this stuff, lean, lean fully into it, particularly abortion. Uh, Republicans would like to be big tent people. They're always big tent people who think that the arc of uh, history bends towards justice. Um, I, In my opinion, Republicans are people who say, let's take the arc of history and bend it the way it needs to be bent. If that means uh, recruiting people to be judges and and having good lists of people who can be Supreme Court judges, I think Democrats have got to understand Republicans play a different game. And it's generally speaking a more sophisticated game when it comes to politics. The arc of history will bend the way you pull it. So pull the damn arc of history towards you.
0: I mean, I don't understand that. And I've had this conversation with so many people, yourself included. You take Jamie Harrison, the head of the uh, DNC. And I'm not I don't mean to be critical of him, but I am critical of him. The way I saw that CNN town hall, to me, it's a fucking treasure trove of stupid Trump shit. They should already... And it's not as if... You know, you have uh, Katzenberg turned around and said, there's no amount of money that he will not donate to somebody who wants to help to defeat Trump. Hello, Katzenberg. uh, You know, we're over here, right? Yeah. So... There's not enough, there's not, there's no money that he won't help if it makes sense. Okay. The first thing that they should be doing is cutting clips on that. Come up with the right slogan and play the Republican game because there wasn't a single truth that Trump spewed in that town hall. And the things that he continued to say, that Caitlin, as you appropriately put it, tried to combat him on unsuccessfully because he lies with impunity right. how about just put use that the man couldn't tell the truth if it kicked him in his diaper yeah. do that and then just put it out there one after the other i asked that to rick wilson i asked that to tara set the other day yeah. i don't but understand why we don't know fight these tricks. The that's why lincoln fight.
1: project does this stuff the problem is it's not been a democratic forte right uh what's the guy from uh, Penn, who was a Republican pollster for a long time, who's come up with all these great uh, the, these great lines and bumper stickers? He was you know, Rick was right in saying this is this this is like defund the police. There are a lot of people who understood that what people were trying to say was, why don't we allocate resources away from police departments into things that could be more useful to people who are suffering from whatever the case is. But none of that works. So they came up with defund the police. It's like you're kidding me. Right. That's not actually the slogan that you're running with. Right. Because it doesn't make sense to most people, because most people, no no matter where you stand on these things, would like to call 911 and have the police come if they have a problem. They don't want all this other stuff. And that's what's happened with abortion. They got it. And then they I mean, even Ann Coulter has been tweeting, saying, guys, get off this abortion bandwagon. It's only going to hurt Republicans and cost us seats. Everybody understands this is not a winning strategy. And, and Rick Wilson and others, mostly former conservatives and Republicans, are saying, Democrats, you've got to take this bull by the horns and deal with it. And I will tell you, Democrats in this country are hesitant to do so.
0: Yeah, well, not not us, because we put it out there. Myself with the Myself Brothers, Midas Touch, um, yeah. what do you call it, um, Justice Matters, uh, Project Lincoln. Yep. You know, there's so many people that are yep. trying, and that's all we're doing is trying. But uh, just... Ali I can't wait to see you again. I know uh we have coming up very soon a nice little hour long uh yeah. interview that you did of me uh for MSNBC on television. So I encourage my you know my listeners here to Stay
1: tuned for that announcement. Any idea when that's going to be hitting the airwaves? I'm, I mean, I, I can never tell because of the changing uh, news cycle, but I'm aiming for uh, before the end of this month. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you. We, too. we were ready to go for, for a while ago. I was on your show the day Donald Trump got indicted. And, you know, j- news changes uh, are things. But I'm, I'm hoping by the end of May.
0: Yeah, well, you got it, Ali. So great to see you, my friend. Stay safe. And I will see you very soon, both on your show as well as back here on Mea Culpa.
1: Always good to be back with you, my friend.
0: Thank you, pal. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about the alleged sexual crimes of Rudy Giuliani, I mean, truly wanting to vomit from it, I can't help but remember the Rudy we all saw standing before the microphones on September 11th, leading New York through a tragedy of epic proportions. That said, the comparison no longer holds water. People continue to wonder, what the fuck happened to that Rudy? That it's somehow impossible that good and evil can lurk inside an individual at the same time. The Rudy we thought we knew 20 years ago, right? I mean, long ago died and has been replaced by this flawed, disgusting toady that we see today. That man has proven himself to not only be a danger to democracy and an enabler of Donald Trump's worst tendencies, but he's also a spotlight-seeking, greedy, craven troglodyte whose only goal today is how personal enrichment and alleged sexual gratification can benefit him. There's an old saying that when someone finally shows themselves to you, let them. In this lawsuit, Rudy has shown himself to be pure id, a man who takes and uses his power to hurt others and is truly damaged and fucking disgusting. He's just a fucking damaged and disgusting individual. This is the man Rudy Giuliani is today. Let's remember him as he is not as he was because he doesn't deserve that memory anymore. He deserves to be remembered as the lying, drunken, scumbag, sexual predator that we all saw in Borat, the person that we know him to be. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek, and our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level.